Here goes another episode. Let's talk about doubt, baby. Let's talk about <laughs> all the good things <laughs> that will happen to if you eat too much cake. I don't really know what gout is. I don't really know what it is either. My uncle had gout last time he visited from Niagara Falls, but he's a like a chronic runner. Like he uh, works out like to a problematic extent because he's like in his mid to late sixties and runs every day. But I guess he indulges in too too many sweets in the evenings. No gout is a painful form of arthritis. Yeah, when your body has extra uric acid. Yeah. Not to be confused with Brendan Urie. I don't know what that is. Is that a hockey player? No, the Panic at the Disco guy. Why would I know his name? Really? That's a weird name for a singer, Brandon Urie. Sorry, next time we'll keep it to video game references. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Continue to explain what gout is. Right. So when your body has extra Brandon (laughs) Urie, sharp crystals may form in the big toe or other joints. Right. What? Yeah, that's exactly where my uncle Paul had his uh in a big toe. In his yeah, it was in his foot and he was like in extreme discomfort. Oh. And he's like one of those like wry, like dry English teacher types who sort of like emits humor from his innate authoritarianism. He just like looks at you and you want to laugh because he's such a serious man, but you can tell that there's an underlying wit there and a desire to like captivate uh, an audience of misbehaving kids. And so when I was a kid and we went to go visit him in Niagara Falls, he would go into teacher mode and just like eviscerate me. And it was hilarious. And I loved it. Eviscerate you for, for like just existing. Basically. Yeah. Cause he thought I was a huge dork and he knew I was like a brown noser and he just, didn't want me to think that we were on good terms <laughs> is he still around he is yeah he's like one of the funniest people i know to be honest with you yeah i want to meet him 100 percent. yeah he's can he's, we uh, have him on your podcast or even if if it's not like we could just do like a special episode called like eviscerate jamie we could if you want we could have my dad on for a 15 minute segment and then Paul and my mom, my mom would definitely roast me for a variety of reasons. Yeah. They're all, they're all fairly good at, you know, like knowing what makes me tick and exactly how to get under my skin. Okay. I've never been more excited to see you hurt. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I had like more like uncle Paul anecdotes right off the cuff. Okay. Wait, wait, let me finish talking about gout because that's really what people want to know. Sure, sure, sure. Go ahead. So it causes swelling and pain called gout attacks. They really slept on that one. Gout is treatable with medications and changes in diet and lifestyle. Yeah. So yeah, it's a painful form of arthritis. And I think the way that the uh, the painful agents accumulate, whatever that acid was, is from like poor dietary choices, like too much fat or sugar in the diet. But as you get right. older, which is similar to arthritis. And well, I mean, like you can get arthritis, you can be predisposed to it and stuff. But again, if you get arthritis, your lifestyle and diet can help. Is it just like consuming like anti inflammatory food groups? I think so. And then, like, obviously watching your sugar consumption. Mm-hmm. Sugar seems to be a huge thing, right? Yeah, sugar is not good for you. 
I really can't fucking escape sugar in my current household. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird. My parents will get groceries on a meal-to-meal basis. They always have like three cakes in the fridge. And I'm like, what the fuck, mom and dad? It's like your parents are playing chicken with gout. It's like duck, duck, gout. <laughs> they walk every day and they're like out in the backyard, like doing landscaping and stuff. They're always doing things that seem like they're too old to be doing. I don't mean to be ageist or whatever. Both my parents are like approaching 80, literally. Yeah. Like my mom had me when she was 40 and my dad was 45. And that's probably why I have CP. But, but really? yeah, but I mean, cause you have kids too late in life and there's like birth complications and shit. Well, your sister, how old was your mom when she had your sister? There's five years difference. So she was 34. That's still, yeah. I don't know when the doctor goes, be careful. I don't know either. And I don't, can't really speak to that. But no. Anyway, yeah, they're, they're, they're always, they, they never stop. Right. Like, uh, yesterday was, yesterday was like 34 with the humidity. And my dad was outside, like building things. Yeah, Mike, is that, I don't know. My dad also loves being outside in the heat. Yeah. Like when I call him on a hot day, he can't get off the phone fast enough to get out on the porch. Right. Yeah. He'll be like, my dad, like, honestly treats the uh, the nice weather like it's fleeting. He, he has like weird, like, uh, nice weather abandonment issues. I do too, honestly. Yeah. Because it leaves us every winter. Yep. And it feels like it's never coming back. Yeah, that's like the primary fear, I think, at the forefront of my dad's mind is that the comfortable temperatures will escape him. And he's constantly saying, it's beautiful outside today, Joe. It'll be freezing tomorrow. And you're like, holy fuck, dad. Yeah, no, I, at this time of year, I check the weather multiple times a day. Really? And the biggest thing that uh, I dislike about having to work inside is missing out. I honestly feel like I'm wasting my time if I'm not outside in the, on a nice day. Like, I get guilty. Like, on Sunday, it was something like 33 here, which is, like, amazing for me. Uh-huh. And I didn't get outside till like, one fifteen, And I remember being like, get the F outside now. That was, like, your, your, like, failure condition? You were, like, really thinking you are going to let yourself down? Yeah, I was like... I, I honestly said to myself, if I don't go out now, I'm not going to get outside till like three and then I'll be out for 45 minutes and then I'll just be beating myself up all day for not getting outside enough. I got to be honestly, Tony, like I've been your friend for years and I've never really seen you in like a panic or panic or disheveled state. And I would like to witness that for once in my life. Like, not for you to be, like, in crisis, but just for you to have a sense of urgency for something important. Like, you don't really strike me as that type of guy. I'm really good at internalizing it. So, like, if we were hanging out and you were like, do you want to hang out inside? It's 33 degrees out. I would just be like, uh, what about if we find somewhere outside where there's shade? Then you can sit in the shade, I'll sit in the sun. I wouldn't be like, we got to go outside. Why? Because you wouldn't want to be in a position to me? No, it's just not really how I react to things. Oh. Like, I don't think I would freak out. Would you feel naked if you said to me, like, we fucking have to go outside, you pasty, cold asshole? No, I'd feel hilarious. (laughs) I wish I could have thought of that. I've never once called you pasty, and now that might be my biggest regret. Okay, well, I'm glad I gave you some ammunition. Yeah. No, uh, 
I I take it as a source of pride to how dark I will get during the summer. Yeah. Yeah. You like to make yourself look like you're out on the golf field all day, right? Yeah. I just like a nice tan line. It's like a dirty little secret. Oh, yeah. And a dark complexion is an accomplishment. Yeah. Eh? Do you think that it like, uh, um, correlates with disability in some sense? Like uh, disabled people not really having much exposure to the outdoors or to like the sun? Yeah. Like I don't think we'd be doing our job very well if we didn't make it somehow about disability. Yeah, it's true. I think maybe like it comes back to, you know, I don't want to be that disabled person who's just cooped up in a home all day. Yeah, it's always that. There's always some part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So if I have some color, then it proves to people, at the very least, it proves to myself that I have a life. Right. Like I get out and I do things. That's a good point. A tan is a testament to your um, adaptability and your like integration into the real world. Yeah, because it means I like... I mean, even though I spend a good majority of the summer just going for a walk on my own, I love that. I'll just like throw on an audiobook or a podcast and just go for a stroll. But I, it just feels like I've accomplished more in a day. I think I'd honestly feel more accomplished listening to an audiobook or a podcast, taking a walk down the canal in the sun mm-hmm. than sitting at home on a nice sunny saturday and mm-hmm. like doing schoolwork or like uh knocking out your email backlog or you know writing some code or doing something yeah that would be deemed ostensibly productive according to your employer yeah i think i'd feel more productive like outside yeah you know sometimes i used to think about carlton in those terms too like there would be semesters where I wouldn't necessarily be succeeding academically and it would sort of wound me to some extent because I do tie my ego to like success in that vein but at the same time equally as important to me would be how active my social life was and how often I was going out and whether I was making it downtown in my scooter and managing to, to do chores and things like the innate or the inane like tasks of the day that everyone else has to go through just to stay alive would feel so important. I had a a deal with myself or like a challenge that I set mm-hmm. last summer mm-hmm. where I would see how close I could drain my battery to zero in a full day. Oh, wow. It was like a weird challenge. Definitely unsafe. Yeah. Because I wasn't just circling the block a hundred times right like i would actually go pretty far and then pretty far back just monitoring my battery and just hoping okay well if it's about halfway now that means i need to definitely turn around because one thing i don't know if this happens to you as well but my wheelchair battery is never accurate like it'll say a hundred percent and then it'll be a hundred percent and then it'll be a hundred percent and then it'll be 40 percent yeah, it feels like a deep betrayal every time that happens. Yeah. I've noticed that it exactly as you say, like for a, a day and a half to two days, depending on how much I'm using it, it'll be at like 100 to 80% for that entire time. And then as soon as it hits like 66, like the last two thirds, it's like going to die within the next two hours. Yeah. You know, like if you see 
only orange, you're gonna have to get home soon. Yeah, you're you're circling the drain. Be funny if you use that as like a pickup line to like the girl in like the food court at the mall. A pickup line? Yeah, like hey baby, my battery's almost at zero, but I'd walk with you any day. <laughs> my chair would die for you. <laughs> Then she then she has to pull it just to eat and push you across just South push Keys. Me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then you could be like trauma bonded for life. Hey baby, have you done leg day yet today? My chair is almost dead and I need to push <laughs> down the road. Or like, you know how people like weird flex on dating apps or they're like, my phone's never over twenty percent. Uh, you've what? never seen that. No. Really? Is that just an auto off thing? Or is that like a Gen Z thing? It's very common for people to basically brag about how bad their battery level is all the time. Because they're so active on social media? I guess. I'm never near electricity. What? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the flex is. I'm so far from being plugged in that my phone battery is almost dead. So if it was like the same thing where I'm like, my wheelchair battery is never above 60%, baby. (laughs) I'm always in motion. <laughs> I don't even know where I left my charger. <laughs> I got solar panels on the back of me. I bring my charger in my backpack just in case. <laughs> I had a weird online dating story that I wanted to bring up. Okay, let's talk about it. Uh, so I was on a dating app and mm-hmm. matched with this girl on one of the on Bumble, which is an app where uh, the woman messages first. Mm-hmm. And she messaged me and just said, wow, someone with a disability and dating during a pandemic online. Wait, I have a question. Yeah. Like, does the conceit of Bumble kind of like defeat itself for same-sex couples? That's a great, I don't know how it works for same-sex. Yeah. I First of all, I don't know if there's a gay version of Bumble. Right. I don't actually know if that exists. I, I mean, like, man-to-man. Yeah. Uh, if there's a woman-to-woman version, yeah, how do they decide? Do they just each get the message, or do you have to be like, I want to be the messenger or something? That's, yeah, that's that's awkward. It's probably just, if it's two women, they can probably either message each other. Right, and then it's just a standard dating app. Imagine it just, like, forbids same-sex couples for that reason. Yeah, like, our conceit doesn't work. If it... Yeah, we actually need... To have the woman message the male. So I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> so what happened was uh we match and she says something like, Wow, a person with a visible disability online dating and during a pandemic, you are very brave. I think she was trying to be really genuine. Cause she was also like, unless calling you disabled is offensive. And I was like, don't worry, I'm definitely disabled. We exchanged maybe like one message both ways. Mm-hmm. And then it just ends there. Right. It was like, did you message me just to tell me I'm brave? I feel like as soon as the word a person uses a word like uh, brave or inspiration or anything like that, any of those annoying buzzwords, it deflates all this, all possible sexual yeah. tension from the discussion. And then it totally defeats the purpose of your initial conversation. Um, right. Cause they're not, it's like, they're, they're trying to say, Hey, good for you, which yeah. like, okay, I appreciate your compliment, but 
But do you? I don't appreciate that compliment. That's not a compliment I like receiving. It's not really. It's just like I appreciate that, you know, I was seeing and she didn't just immediately swipe left or whatever. But were you seen? I would much rather a woman look at me and go, I don't think I want to date a disabled guy and then swipe left or whatever it is, rather than be like, oh, I really need to tell this guy that I think he's uh, good because I feel slightly guilty that I wouldn't fuck him. It's it's just like, you know what I mean? I don't want that. I don't want your guilt. And I don't, I don't want anything inauthentic. Just, just go away or walk by or whatever. Keep moving. If that's your first gut instinct. Yeah, it definitely messed with my mind a bit, you know, based on her profile and just the way she messaged. She seemed like a pretty decent person. So I don't want to try to color her as like a, a a bad person. It's just, I, I feel like that's probably a pretty prevalent mindset or perspective people have when they're swiping through Tinder or Bumble or whatever it is, and they see like one of our profiles and they just go, oh. And it's just like, how how are we, you know, I don't know. I've showed it to friends before. And even they will be like, yeah, I mean, like, I think it's a good profile, but like, I don't think it's gonna, because people, it's, well, you have to like, I feel like you're already starting so far behind the eight ball that you have to, I don't really know what I'm trying to say, except for the fact that it's like, how do we get to a level playing field? I think we need to start a dating service for disabled people. And we can let able-bodied people join it, but they're explicitly joining it because they're open-minded about dating somebody with a mobility issue. But then is there just a stigma of everyone who joins is a devotee? No, it doesn't have to be like that. Not when like a, an active social and sexual life of a disabled person is normalized. Yeah, but I don't think it is yet. That's the issue. Well, I mean, but that's a step toward that said normalization is to create platforms where people understand up front that this is a place to meet other people with mobile with mobility issues. And if you use buzzwords like brave or inspiration or whatever stupid platitudes that actually mean nothing, um, you should look elsewhere. Yeah, but then uh, is someone going to download a separate app just to put themselves in a pool of availability for disabled people too. Well, no, I mean, disabled people will. Yeah, for sure. So then disabled people could date each other. Right. And we could also like partner with other dating apps and maybe like share their, I don't know, like you could figure out some way of raising people's awareness of this thing and its importance somehow. See, this whole discussion that we're having right now it's really hard for people to understand that certain kinds of social pleasantries uh can be disrespectful and i think like this woman showed you like a slight but significant disrespect and you obviously liked her enough to ask her why she did it and to potentially like uh discuss it just so that she can know going forward that maybe it wasn't the best thing to do and you you can you can ask her why you can ask her her motivation for talking to you and, and let it be a teachable moment without her walking away feeling like 
you know, she slighted you or you just wanted to put her in her place. But I feel like it's a pretty constructive conversation. It's it, it's really bothersome when this happens to me and to you and to our friends. And yeah, yeah, I don't feel like the thing about online dating is also just, I guess, this isn't just dating in general, but everyone's on their own little journey. And, you know, it's just like the timing isn't quite right or whatever. But do I have to now explain why it's offensive? If you think that person's worth it, then yeah, you can spend that time. But if you don't, you don't have to. You just walk away. Yeah. It's a it's a weird one. It's not a weird one. It's a common one and it's worth talking about. It is worth talking about because I think that it's probably, like you said, it's common. And it's probably so common. I I would assume that people, I mean, there are many reasons people would swipe left. But then... An element of that more than likely is also the disability. So whether or not it's like, oh, I don't know if I could or would or want to. And then it's just like, uh, oh, not worth like the thought, you know, right. of like deciding whether or not that's worth their time to explain it to their parents or whatever, you know. Which is exactly why I think that dating apps are not the right way for disabled people to meet other people, period. Because it's so much easier to make that, like to superficially dismiss a disabled person's dating profile than it is to meet them out in the wild and actually witness how they present themselves and how they function in the world and give yourself an opportunity to be distracted from the reality of their mobility issues yeah. because ultimately the way a person moves, while it does inform their experience and their personality in a lot of fundamental ways, it isn't who they fucking are at the end of the day. Right. And it, it's, it's really easy and quite natural for our personalities and our passions to override this fucking bullshit that we have to go through on a daily basis. And and to allow us to actually make connections with people, then we should be fucking afforded those connections because everyone needs them. Yeah, there are a few keywords. Brave is one. Inspirational is one. Adorable is one. Yeah, I got adorable a few weeks ago. I told you that this woman called me adorable uh, for three separate little anecdotes. And I thought it was far too doting for her to actually mean, mean it yeah. in a way that meant I should keep talking to her. I remember the first time she said adorable, you told me and you're like, I think it's over now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I I remember trying to be the optimist being like, come on, maybe she just says adorable. That's just how she talks or whatever. Yeah. And it looks like you ended up being right, but it is, it's weird how that ends up being. I, I just say weird when I haven't really figured out what the other word that I want to use is. Or when the conversation maybe is slightly uncomfortable and you're not really sure how to phrase it yeah uh, but yeah she didn't have a history of you know flowery adjectives in her speech otherwise and so when that word came up multiple times i was like oh i'm not a i'm not a contender for anything more than whatever the fuck this already is yeah it, it's weird do you feel like you have to do more to end up in the same place as your able-bodied counterpart I don't know. The times where I've actually ended up in a longer term relationship that was healthy, I just sort of stumbled into it and it kind of worked out. Yeah. And it like I was able to uh, go ahead with it more because 
that person was a part of my inner circle. And so they knew me to a better extent than I, I would be known, you know, as a dating profile. And so it was, it was way, way easier to overlook the disability. And, you know, maybe overlook is the wrong word. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it's overlook. I think it's just like accept or mm-hmm. you're, you're just trying to see a person as a whole person. Yeah. And so even though, you know, on a dating app, a disability probably is at the forefront of what they see. You know, you have to put in enough of your personality in there to show them that that's not all of it. You also can't just, it's literally impossible to just download your entire personality into a profile. It's the wrong medium. It's it's the wrong fucking medium. Yeah. There's just missing information. It's the same for me where I've, anyone I've dated, like in a long-term stable relationship was someone that I had already built a connection with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. They just, they realize you're friends and then they realize you can be more than friends. Mm-hmm. And when you come at it the other way, it's just, I don't know, it's very superficial. It's kind of hard to wade through it. I, I usually just try jokes and try to get through that way. But mm-hmm. I've never, beyond like very casual stuff, ended, ended up in like anything serious from an online dating app. I think it's like you try to get over it or get through it. You know, you try to be strong, but it hurts every time. And it kind of feels like sharp crystals forming in your joints mm-hmm. it feels like goat emotional goat it's emotional goat this might get heavily philosophical or something but it kind of boils down to who a person is to another it's really hard to know a person but generally speaking those that we are close to they are this kind of like pastiche of impressions and feelings and like influences on us you know, like when you think of your friendship with another person, they're essentially a collection of stories or ideas or f- funny anecdotes um, or shared experiences. They're very like you very rarely when you reflect on a person that means a lot to you, you very rarely reflect on their physical appearance or on uh, like. Uh, I remember a quote that I don't know who said it, but it was. People don't remember what you say. They just remember how you how they felt when you were saying it to them. Exactly. And the strange thing about about like courtship in general and how our culture sort of looks at dating is we always start like with the most superficial of of transactions or priorities. And yeah, like first impressions are so important that way. And it's really it's it's hard to push past it but you you have to as a disabled person you really really have to get yourself out there and show other people who you actually are as opposed to you know what they assume your experience is already and the limitations that they assume your disability poses upon a potential relationship with them and so it that that is the work of it really and like every person able-bodied or disabled has the capacity to look beyond it obviously but it we we just have to reckon with 
like what we actually like in other people and what we are truly attracted to. And I think our, our dating culture distracts us from those things. Like you think you're looking for at first, like the tits or the ass, but it's more than that. Anyway, so should we somehow figure out how to segue this into the movie that we watched? Well, that's what I was trying to do when I was trying to compare it to Gout. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about this. And honestly, between our personal conversations and the podcast, we do talk about it quite a bit. Because like we're both actively dating people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I always feel like you're at a disadvantage. And it's hard to say that without feeling like you're sounding like a victim. But I think it's just an objective truth. I think so, yeah. I mean, like, if you dwell on it too, too much, you can definitely veer into victimhood. But for the most part, I think we're, we haven't sunk that low yet. We're not blaming the people who we have difficulty connecting with. We're blaming uh, the culture that surrounds it and how disability is regarded. Okay, well, you know what else is a difficult thing for people to overcome? What's that? Gout? (laughs) Gout. So basically, uh, we watched a film from 2018 called The Favorite, um, which is a period black comedy. It's set in 1701 in England, and it's about Queen Anne, uh, who was stricken with a variety of health problems during her reign in the later years of her life. Was it a variety or was it literally just gout? Well, in the film, it was gout, but historically, there was a number of things that plagued her over the years. Oh, okay, okay. And so it's about her and the women who, like her chambermaids, I suppose, who look after her and basically bend her ear and uh, uh, make power plays to like win social influence and affect political decisions over the years. Uh, and so it's it's a... It's from a Scandinavian director. I cannot pronounce his name, so I'm not even going to try. But he also did a really funny film from 2016 called The Lobster um, that you should also watch along with this film. What was the period? Like 1600, 1700? It was 1701. Okay. And we thought it was relevant to the podcast because the queen suffers from regular bouts of gout to the point where she has to use a manual wheelchair and she frequently gets pushed around her massive palace to attend royal events and to flounder and distract herself from her pain. Yeah. I don't think we have to justify that this was a disabled movie. She was literally in a wheelchair. Yeah. And yeah, it was a result of her gout bouts, but I don't think that it was even like a question whether or not this is, a disabled movie. Okay, I actually didn't check in with you to see if you felt that this film was valid. There was literally a wheelchair. <laughs> I think we spent 40% of the movie arguing about whether or not the wheelchair was period appropriate. Okay, firstly, there is no way that in 1701 they made competent wheelchairs of the nature that this woman was was using. What do you think they were using in 1701? I, I, I don't know, fucking wheelbarrows. They were probably just carrying her around. No, she was the queen. Okay. They for sure, if I was the queen or the king or even the rook, is that a person? I just know chess. 
Yeah, so, yeah. You were the rook or the bishop then. Even the pawn. I would have a wheelchair. It would be uncomfortable, but the wheel was invented and chairs were invented. So I don't think it was a great mental leap for someone to be like, what if we use a wooden bolt and put a wheel on a chair and call it a throne? No. See, the thing is, this chair had um, like an ergonomically supportive backrest. It was just a chair, dude. It was pat. It was padded like with the best, most plushy, uh, fucking fabric. I don't know. It man. was a chair. It was a nice royal chair, and then it had big wheels on. The only thing I would agree with is the push railing on the wheels. Like that seems a bit advanced. And if I was a queen, I would never be like, make sure I can push it myself. I'd be like, make sure you can push me around. Okay, so you'd be a fucking uh, despot, a crippled despot. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think you would be. You'd figure out how to fucking rig uh, the uh, Alexa voice recognition software of seventeen oh one to uh, operate. Hello, please turn on the lights. <laughs> please light my coal oil lamp, Alexa. I'd like to use the bed chamber. <laughs> what, what do they call it? The bedpan? The, the chamber pot? The chamber pot, yeah. The chamber pot, yeah. Please, chambermaid, I'd like to defecate now. <laughs> yeah, if I was the queen, have you seen those the San Francisco wheelchairs? I don't know what you're talking about, but I need to go back to this wheelchair because there's no fucking way that it was period appropriate. The, the articulated joints that were used on the um, anti-tipper wheel. Okay, first of all, this chair, okay, just picture... Wait, wait, like wait, a, wait. There were not articulated joints. It was really fucking smart. It looked like it was uh, like personally maintained by a technician from uh, Motion Specialties. So you think that people got smart in what, 1720? No, I'm saying that this movie's full of shit and they just gave her a functional wheelchair because they couldn't figure out how to solve the problem uh, uh, with 1701 eyes. What would you have done if you were making this movie? You would have given her a... Wait, first of all, if wheelbarrows existed, you don't think someone could have made the logical conclusion to put Her Royal Highness in a wheelchair? I, it looked like a... Like a wooden sports chair, like it was like patented by Adidas or something. It totally no, did. It, it was okay. So let's try to describe it. it. Okay. First of all, can you please do me a favor for one moment? Like, you know, those one size fits all like shitty manual chairs that exist in all hospitals yeah. and have that like dark blue leather that looked yeah. like it was ripped off the interior of a cab and just slabbed on the back of the fucking wheelchair. Right. And they just mm-hmm. throw sick people that have mobility issues in those things and cart them around the fucking hospital. My favorite use for those chairs is the people that need to bring their oxygen tank so they can go have a cigarette in the parking lot. <laughs> so they put their oxygen tank in the chair? Yeah, they bring their oxygen tank in the wheelchair to go and have a smoke in the parking lot. I just think those fucking chairs are just so gross. Like, they're just such a fucking insult to the person who needs them. 
This chair wasn't much better than that. It was 1 million percent better than that, Tony. Do we have to spend the whole podcast arguing about this? We might. (laughs) So let's try to describe it, okay? Okay. It was, first of all, just imagine you took a nice wooden chair with some padding on it. Yeah, your grandma's favorite fucking uh, kitchen dining room chair. Yeah, that has been passed through the family for hundreds of years. Yeah, like a very nice one. Okay. And you throw big wheels on each side of it. Yeah, that were phenomenally round, like perfect circles. They weren't. They were wobbling. Oh, come on. They weren't phenomenally round. Yes, they were. What a ridiculous adjective (laughs) to use. (laughs) They were average wooden wheels that seemed like they were made in 1700. Mm-hmm. Although I will say, I don't know how you make a wheel out of wood in 1700. Exactly. I don't know how you make a wheel out of wood now. I, that's true. Right? You should have had one of my like uh, carpentry dickhead co-workers come on the podcast. Or your dad. Wax poetic about that. I don't know. That might be a little too advanced for him. But I do know I have at least one or two co-workers that would... The guy just built you a staircase. He did. Yeah, that's that's right. My my dad is awesome. Okay, so it's it's a a chair with wheels. Uh-huh. And hey, hold on. There's a joint. Okay, so it has two wheel two big wheels yeah. on the sides and then and then the two front casters. Right. And I think it had fucking foot pedals. I'm pretty sure she wasn't just like free balling it with her feet. Okay, but again, that's not hard to do. Were, but were they articulated foot pedals? Could she press a button and they move out onto of the side? Of course not. It looked like they were there. No, I, I, they I think I saw them. As if you're getting wheelchair envy from the 1700. I totally was. I was like, this movie is fucking full of shit. Olivia Coleman's riding around on a fucking throne from from 2018. Your perspective on wheelchairs is so far off. You were riding a scooter for years. Okay, my scooter was called the Fortress 2300, and it was incredible, and fuck you. <laughs> it was literally too big to get on a bus. It was, but it, it made me very good at, like, three-point turns. I, I could I could get that scooter on any fucking bus. I, I could get it on the top of a double-decker if I had to. <laughs> that would be amazing. Imagine getting on the bus in your scooter and just being like, could you just help me get to the top, please? <laughs> and then people are like what just park right here and you're like no i get i get car sick so i need to be at the top where i can see yeah. people would help you they Maybe totally some, would some guy be like yo dude whatever bro i got you bro yeah i got you bro yeah <laughs> like six bros would come out from the bushes and be like bro you need me bro yeah you want a beer bro i know it's nine in the morning I and it's a fucking you, work dude. rush hour but i'll help you bro yeah, just like there's at least two jabrones just lifting your chair up. A... We really shouldn't disrespect the jabrones because they've saved us so many times. Oh, I rely heavily on jabrones. Mm-hmm. Anytime I go to a bar, uh, it's my friends and then a random, at least one jabron. Like, do you ever find yourself scouting jabrones just as much as you scout the ladies? She's like, okay, if I get in trouble, who's going to help me? I do that. Yeah, yeah. When, when, unless I'm with Jeff. If I'm with Jeff, it's fine. I know. But Jeff's not a jabron. He, Jeff is not a jabron, exactly. But Jeff doesn't need a jabron. 
is what I'm saying. Oh, because he's like he's like a full a full yeah, he, fleet of them in in his he has a full fleet of them in his forearms. Yeah, he, he outlift a jabron with his pinky finger. Oh yeah. So I'm not worried about that. Okay. But if I'm not with it, if I'm not with someone who could lift me, then yeah, you have to you have to be constantly on the lookout for the next jabron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be funny if like you had as many pickup lines for jabrons as you did for the ladies as well. No, the jabrons hit on me more than the ladies do. It's true, don't they? They approach you with free drinks and they like yeah. wanna they wanna hug you. Like they'll they'll prematurely offer to help you take a piss whenever you need it, but you don't even have to bring it up and shit. No, but I brought a urinal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll be like, dude, I'll wipe your ass. Like Yeah, man. Like I hope you have to take a shit tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I wish I was gay for jabrons because I feel like it would be way easier dating for me. That's so true. I never even thought of that. They come up to me all the time and they're they're so helpful. They'll be like, hey man, you want a drink? What are you drinking? I'll get you a drink, man. Yeah. And they're like, get it. And then I'll they'll like they never take payment. No, they never do. No. And and sometimes they're curious about what happened to you. And like if you tell them, they hang on your every word. And when you're done, they like yeah. want to hug you and stuff. And Actually, it's not the insincere thing. No. It's not like they think you're brave. No. Just, and then they want to help you. They're like, they'll start trying to hook you up with girls at the bar. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oftentimes they'll even like fucking like take your contact information and shit too. Yeah. Listen, man, if like you ever need to go anywhere else, I'm I'm there for you. Yeah, man, my buddy has a truck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We can definitely get you in his truck. That is such a standard line too, the fucking truck. Wow. Yeah. You ever been on a boat, bro? I got a boat. It's a pontoon. I can get you power chair on that thing. You want to go to space, bro? My uncle knows Elon. We can make a spaceship, man. How hard can it be? Oh, yeah. We can make one tonight at the bar. Yeah, so I love jabrons. <laughs> anyway, what I was trying to say is you have no real understanding of wheelchairs because you use a scooter for so long? I only used a scooter for like eight years, okay? Only? Oh, wait, it was more like six. Only six. Out of how many years? 33. Okay, so we had BS, which is before scooter. Uh Uh-huh. What were you using BS? So BS, I was using a manual chair um, for longer distances, like at the mall or the movie theater as a teenager. And you would push yourself or you would get people to push you? Well, it depends who I was with. If I was with my dad, he would always say like, "Uh, you got to push yourself, Joe. That's why we got you this wheelchair. And that's why we're at the mall. There's no inclines here and you're perfectly safe. Away you go. Right. No, that's good. Yeah, so so I'd always push myself unless I was with friends. Then, then quite often they would volunteer to push me. Well, yeah, because they don't want to wait for you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's so true. In fact, just as you said that, I heard my best friend's voice from high school telling me to fucking pick up the pace. Yeah. So yeah, when I got the scooter, it was this like big revelation. It, like, actually, was a huge relief to my friend Nick because he thought that. Uh, that he I, he wouldn't have to like watch me from afar for the first month at Carlton. Right. Although within the first uh, two days at Carlton, I did manage to 
drive my my scooter into half a dozen cafeteria tables and ruin several meals for people. <laughs> I never told that story on the podcast, I don't think. You just forgot how big your chair was? No, I was learning to drive the fucking thing and I didn't actually like nail down the ritual of pulling the key out properly before I transfer out of it. <laughs> so, so I went to the cafeteria for the second time ever with my friend Nick and I was in this three-wheeled Fortress 2300 shitty ass scooter and the thing is they he he had told me he's like you know what you should do you should drive it at max speed so you 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 learn to temper the throttle and and you become accustomed to um driving the scooter under the most difficult conditions quicker or whatever so i i had there was a little speed dial on the scooter and on the far left was the tortoise and the far right was the hare and Nick and I went to the fucking cafeteria together and I had the scooter on the hair. And, and you know, Carlton in September, the cafeteria was always packed like sardines. Like you, like there was hardly any foot room for able-bodied people, let alone a shitty ass three-wheeled scooter. Oh, yeah. And so... Yeah, wait. Let's not gloss over that it was a three-wheeled scooter. Yeah. The, a three-wheeled scooter has the center of gravity of a... Jesus, I don't know. A pogo stick? It, Person with gout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. Like you, you, even when you're like driving on flat land in a straight line, you feel like you're likely to tip over. So I'm driving this thing around, and we get our food, and Nick has my meal, and I'm not holding anything, so I'm totally able to focus on driving. And we go over to our table, and the way the scooter worked was it had this little like pull-up uh, bar, like you have on standard office chairs when you're trying to like adjust the height or whatever, yeah. but you'd pull up on this bar and you'd be able to swivel the, the seat of the scooter 90 degrees. But before you do that, you're actually supposed to take like, like the whole gear shift mechanism and, and push it forward out of the way so that your the scooter seat has enough clearance to actually do the full 90-degree rotation to allow you to transfer out of the chair. And I didn't do this. So when I turned my seat 90 degrees, I actually uh, turned the uh, arm rest of my seat into the throttle of the scooter. And it was set all the way to hair, as I'd previously explained. So I proceeded to fucking shoot all the way across the cafeteria. Like, I don't know how many feet because I'm directionally stupid, but basically from one end of the calf to the other and through all the chairs that would have otherwise obstructed my journey. I just plowed right through them. And the fun, the most hilarious thing was it was like crazy taxi or Grand Theft Auto. Like people were realizing that I had no control of this thing and they were diving out of the way actively to, to oh. get to give me room and i didn't oh and i was i was actually speeding across the calf for like <sighs> probably a solid 15 seconds which is an eternity like when you're going at it that at this speed no right way. yeah and so nick had to run up and pull pull the fucking key out of the scooter to stop me and when we realized that everyone was okay that no one was hurt and that i miraculously didn't tip over or die or fall out of it. I was just there shaking, like just rattling with like this the C C P spasticity. Yeah. And my feet were just wagging like fucking like oh I was terrified. Oh but man. when the smoke had cleared and everyone sort of had a chance to realize what happened, he just started howling with laughter. 
Like it was like, it was mayhem. And what a blessing it is that the cafeteria didn't have to reimburse everyone whose meal that I ruined because like, you know, it's a, it's a buffet style. So all they had to do was pick up their plates and go back and get some more food. Oh my God. But oh my God, man. That's right out of a scene from our show. I know there was, there's one particular uh, uh, chef who actually uh, worked there from 2007 to when I graduated in 2013. And he never, uh, he'd always looked at me with shifty eyes. Like, is this fucking guy going to plow through the cafe again? He just did not trust me. And I don't blame him. But Tony, that was my second day on that fucking thing. And I, and I resolved to learn to get good at driving it. And I used, I then used it for almost five years. But the, but the end result ended up being that anytime I took public transportation, I was just terrified of falling over. And I would actively like avoid leaving uh, campus or going places I couldn't get to on the train because I knew just how fucking awful it was to actually use that thing. They're made for people who can walk. Like if you start to fall, you can just stop yourself from falling. Yeah. And I'm unfortunately not that person. And how excited were you to get your first wheelchair? Oh my God. When I got a power chair for the first time and I could actually drive it around the shitty, bumpy, like crater of the moon style sidewalks around my old River Terrius, like suburb, I was in love. I was like, I'm a free man. Yeah. It was it was honestly like a process of just acknowledging like, yeah, you are disabled enough that you need this chair. And and also of my parents coming to, the, to terms with that as well, because you have to think as well. My sister uses forearm crutches and she has an absolutely impossible uh, like center of gravity. She's like a fucking wet noodle. She just will never fall over. And so, you know, she's like she's like a, a godly wheelie. And I'm held to that standard. So when I agreed to have a power chair, it was like a moment of reckoning. Yeah. I mean, that scene sounds, it would be one of those scenes where you'd put it in a movie and people would just, it would be hilarious, but only if it was already like a slapstick comedy. Yeah. Because otherwise nobody would believe that that's realistic. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It almost feels like there's a, there's a degree of surrealism every time I recount it because I'm just amazed that I didn't hurt anyone or hurt myself. Oh, yeah. And that it actually ended in laughter. I've definitely been in positions where that were thinking back, I get nervous and like like a quick rush of adrenaline just because of how close I came to actual catastrophe. Yeah, it's like maybe dying. Yeah. <laughs> Local man's power chair <laughs> flings out the edge of a cliff. Whoops. <laughs> so all that to say, you obviously have no idea what a good power chair is. Mm-hmm. And so this queen's chair was pretty fine. I'm not saying it was perfect, but I don't think it was. The only thing that I would agree is that back, they had, it had like a, you know, like those old bicycles where it's like a big wheel on the front. And then a small wheel on the back. Yeah, like the training wheels. No, 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 no. Like the old, old old-fashioned bicycles where it's almost like a unicycle because the front wheel is so big. But then the back wheel is just like a small wheel. 
It's it's just a two wheel bicycle. I'm picturing like a like a circus in the 1800s. Basically, yeah. So that's the kind of wheel that they had on this chair as like the anti tipper sort of uh, the guiding wheel that would actually turn. And that one seemed a little advanced, maybe. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to say. The articulated joint at the back, it was unrealistic. But we don't know what they were doing in carpentry work back in 1700. <laughs> Tony, that manual chair looked like you could possibly use it comfortably. Like it had enough of a, of a high rest back and all they needed was a little bit of a headrest and you could have freely used it, no problem. But again, if I was the queen, I would have a great wheelchair. Yeah, like you would design it yourself? No, but I would have access to enough resources that I would get a good wheelchair. Yeah. Like, have you ever seen, there's a woman who works, she's like the head of Apple Maps or something like that? I didn't even know Apple had maps. Really? Yeah, that seems like Google's thing. Yeah, it was a big thing where Google was like, we don't want to give you maps anymore. So Apple had to make their own and they were terrible for a long time. Really? Is it just like charting the genome of a Granny Smith or something? I'm <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> what is that face? I need to recover. Did I hurt you? That was painful. <laughs> that you want to restart like, the podcast? Yeah, we might have to restart the whole thing. <laughs> Just trash it. Yeah, so she has a San Francisco wheelchair, which is like a wheelchair that you can only buy independently because it's not covered by insurance, because it's not approved as a medical device, because it's considered a personal electric vehicle or something ridiculous. And it looks like a futuristic wheelchair. And so what I'm trying to say is if you have access to the resources of Apple, you have a $4,000, which isn't even that expensive, fancy-looking wheelchair. And if you're the queen... You're going to have a wheelchair that is a little bit ahead of its time for 1700. Mm-hmm. So that's that's all I wanted to argue is that maybe it's a bit ahead of its time, but I don't think it was some breaking part of the movie. Like you brought it up a hundred times. Yeah, I was fascinated by it. Even the first time I, I saw this movie, I watched it with a, a lady friend of mine and I I couldn't shut up about the fucking chair. That must have been great. A great day. I'm sure she had a wonderful time. Okay, so, but, so I'm usually like kind of resistant to period movies uh, that are that depict the aristocracy, like in the 1700s, because usually films like this are belabored are belabored by their historical context. Like they really need to tell you in excruciating details a story about some war that happened in that time. And how the king or queen handled the war and the political tensions at the heart of it. Uh, and what I really liked about this movie was it was actually uh, kind of a romantic thriller. Like it, it didn't really hold on too much to historical accuracy for one thing, according to Wikipedia. And it was more about the interplay of the actresses yeah. and their their relationships. It was it was entirely character driven. And these are the movies that I tend to love. So that means that what we got was actually like a really fleshed out portrait of a cripple character. 
from a time period where you would never assume that such a thing would be even achievable. But because but because the the queen like is is the most important member of the aristocracy, she was still kind of treated like an able-bodied person with a lot of power and influence despite her situation. So it's it's like an interesting uh it's an interesting dynamic. And I, I loved the movie actually. I thought it was really cool. What what did you think? It was a pretty movie. I like I kinda like period pieces sometimes because mm-hmm. it just makes me think about what it would be like to live there. And my one of my first thoughts watching the movie was actually like, can you imagine being disabled during this time? No, I can't even imagine being a person in this time. Right. Where it seems like even if you're a member of high society and you're afforded all the luxuries that uh, mankind can at that point, you still have to, you're still constantly threatened by disease, by uh, poor hygiene. The absence of light in the film is a, is a key thing. Like one of its sort of uh, cinematic um uh, uh, gimmicks is that it's all lit. It, it's all lit by natural light. Gimmick, gimmick gives it a bad name. It was really cool. It was very, very cool. Uh, so yeah, like at nighttime, for example, everyone's shrouded in darkness, and like there's a scene where one of the queen's lovers uh, goes missing, for example, and they can't find her anywhere in the castle, and she commands that this woman be found because she needs to talk to her about some kind of infidelity like immediately and her poor like like manservant who's this like 18 year old boy is not only like befuddled by the by the immediacy of the request but he literally just can't navigate through the castle because it's nighttime and that's like fucking hilarious actually yeah like it's it's played for perfect comedy if i had to live during this time it would take me four hours to get up in the morning yeah. Like imagine having to put on those clothes. No, especially if you're a woman. Those clothes are like the least accessible. Yeah, if you're a disabled woman in 1700 yeah. having to wear like a corset or whatever it's called. Yeah. And then those like puffy sleeves. All those fucking layers. Like you'd have to carve parts out of your back rats for your sleeves. Yeah. There's there are scenes actually when the queen has a particularly nasty episode of gout where she still has to a gout bout yeah a gout bout she still has to go out and make up a, a public appearance like um, conference with like uh, some French uh, military or something you can tell that I really enjoyed history class in high school right Tony right yeah I'm I, my I tuned out of history I remember. One of my profs for history used to just be like, well, it is what it is. And I was like, I can't take this class seriously. Like every lesson ended in it is what it is. I think it's just that when I was a teenager, my dad wanted me so desperately to go to these like historical parks that reenacted the War of 1812 that I just developed this longstanding resentment for anything right. of that nature. And so I just like... And yet he still loves you so much that he'll build your flight of stairs. I know. His love truly is unconditional. I should really yeah. stop giving him shit on my podcast. Well, thank you for pointing that out, actually, though. Yeah, well, I'm glad we've made a breakthrough today. Yep. So 
did you did you enjoy this film like did you feel like the the uh, queen's character was uh enjoyable to watch or interesting at all yeah i like the fact that she was sort of unlikable but a little sympathetic still yeah i, I like a really movie where the really character is not nice i do too because then it's a little easier for someone to see them just as a person and not on this weird pedestal that I feel like society still tippy toes around disability. Yeah. Plus there's all this fucking pressure all the time to be agreeable as a disabled person. Right. And I think like, I, I don't know, like the tyranny of social pleasantries, like is strong with us. I, I try to swear and to be frank and upfront as much as possible, but you know, in a public setting or at work or, you know, like with extended family, I can't really ever be myself. Right. Yeah. So in, in this film, like she is sort of uh, unlikable, but it's not because it's not because she's like a, a spoiled aristocrat or something, or she has no respect for the people around her. It's no, more yeah, that she, you can tell that she's just been like dragged through the mud her whole life. Mm-hmm. And that she's. She's been disabled for quite a while, and there's a lot resting on her shoulders. Well, beyond that, she was she lost 17 children. She was pregnant 17 times, and mm-hmm. none of them survived, and she uh, ended up not having an heir. Right. Um, as well, uh, for each child that she lost, she starts accumulating uh, bunnies as house pets. Was that real? Did that actually happen in real life? I don't think it did, but it was a it was an interesting um, little bit of flavor for the film. Yeah, because all throughout the movie, uh, her bunnies are sort of like gallivanting around her her bedroom, and after a while, they become emblematic of a dying relationship. She was also uh, sexually active. Yep, which is a nice touch for seventeen hundred. For a disabled 1700s queen, mm-hmm. the 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 movie's plot sort of centers around her um, ongoing uh, love affair with two women that look after her throughout the movie's events, um, and how those w- w- how those two women sort of constantly vie for her attention, and uh, the things that they do to one another uh, to sabotage the love triangle essentially, and to win out. And so the movie is basically like a rumination on what love is and what it actually means to be loved by another person in a healthy way. Uh, And it sort of approaches these questions from quite a unique vantage. It was, even though I I just argued that it is definitely a disability movie, Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't focus on disability no which kind of works in its favor yeah i was gonna say like what what made it kind of special for me is that i don't even think the movie itself regarded it as uh, a story about a disabled person right like it didn't it didn't consider her gout to be within the realm of that nor did it really pay too too much attention to her wheelchair it was more just like an an aspect of her her character and like uh, a testament to uh, a particular kind of vulnerability that was within her. Yeah, and it it, did, it obviously informed her personality. Yeah, 
Uh, like that's what I loved about it because be, because it didn't because the movie wasn't self conscious of its own portrait of disability, it didn't then kind of give in to all the tropes that come with being a cripple movie. Yeah, like as we said, it 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 uh, dared to make the queen occasionally unlikable and selfish, and to monopolize uh, the time of the people around her to look after her disability. It showed her being. Um, self-destructive like you know even though she had gout she would still continue to have very very poor dietary habits and to indulge in that in the uh, very patterns of behavior that would worsen her condition that's a good point it, it almost uh it almost did a well not better but it, it shone a brighter light i would say on like depression and mental health Exactly. And how that factors into the very experience of being disabled. Yeah. So what it, where it does actually place its emphasis is on her, her isolation and her loneliness and her heartache rather than like, like, oh, I can't get around and therefore I'm less of a person. Like, as I said before, uh, the people like the state officials and the members of the military that constantly interact with her, they don't treat her like an invalid they're not as cruel to her as you would think they would be because she after all is the fucking queen so there are moments in the movie where she has to make a key strategic like defensive decision uh and she's crowded around a bunch of uh, military men in in uniform and they've literally draped like the map of europe like across her legs like on the bed i thought that was so funny like I've never seen any kind of image like that in my life. The movie was actually pretty funny. It was. That's the other thing is that this Scandinavian director uh, has a tendency toward dark comedy, but it's not like in any kind of vein that I'm used to. Well, it's a little British, right? It's British humor. It's very dry. And yeah. when whenever you do laugh in the film, you're constantly wondering if you should have laughed. Right. But I don't think it's it's because... Like it's it's questionable as to whether or not the movie nailed the joke. It's just like always joking about things that seem a little taboo. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned that Emma Stone is in the movie. Oh yeah, and Emma Stone does a really good job. Um, she she plays the cousin of the Queen's primary caretaker. She ends up being the Queen's primary caretaker. Yeah, that that's her that's her kind of arc throughout the film. But Emma Stone, yeah. Emma Stone starts out uh, like the cousin of the queen's primary caretaker and her her status in the building is is incredibly low because her father like lost her in a gambling debt like he literally had to give away his teenage daughter to like some middle-aged dude imagine being so confident in your poker hand that you're like i'll give you vanessa (laughs) you bet your own flesh and blood trust me I have pocket aces. What can go wrong? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, it's like the value of women at that time. It's like, whatever, I'll just put my daughter up. And and children. and Yeah. Yeah. So like Emma Stone actually kind of starts out to be the most sympathetic character because she goes to visit her cousin at the castle and she like wants work. So then she's just like made like a member of the the help essentially like the housing staff and so they put her to work and she's like very pretty and because of her blood relation to uh higher society like the other house workers 
they they don't really like her all that much. So there's all kinds of scenes of her being like abused basically and, and reprimanded too for like uh, interacting with people above her social station. Um, and so the movie um, is in part about her sort of rise to like attaining greater social status. And um, she kind of strikes up a relationship with the queen because she's smart and innovative and she realizes that the queen's inflammation can be treated with a particular herb that is close to the castle. So she's like, yeah, I'll go make this remedy for the queen's legs. And then she'll invite me into uh, closer to her and I will eventually get away from all this fucking manual labor. And so you start out the film uh, very much aligned with Emma Stone and kind of concerned for this queen because the queen as well is played by Olivia Coleman. Uh, who's a really funny actress primarily. Yeah. Like I know her from uh, from funny movies like uh, Hot Fuzz, uh, just any of like Edgar Wright's cat- catalog. She's a bit like uh, Paul Giamatti, like a character actress. Like you, you would never know her name, but you've seen her everywhere. Uh, and she's incredibly versatile as a, as a result. And she's responsible actually, Olivia Coleman, for a majority of the laughs in the film. The Queen is... Which is another thing that makes her an awesome disabled person. I feel like I'm talking too much, Tony. The reason I wasn't talking is because I was trying to find pictures of Queen and actual wheelchair. Uh huh. Obviously, like we didn't have Apple iPhone cameras yet, but I I got nothing except pictures of like paintings that looked like they were just taken, like painted to as promos for this movie. Oh, I see. Um, but I did find Princess Margaret in a wheelchair. And she, as predicted, has a wheelchair that is only designed to be pushed by others. Of course. So I'm right in my stance that if I was a king or a prince or a rook, I would have a chair that would only be pushed around. If you were a king, your help would be better. You would treat your help better than you treat yourself, which is exactly what you do now. On fucking Valentine's Day, did you not get like a slew of chocolates for the attendants? You're just like mm-hmm. constantly catering for them and stuff. Like, come on, dude. You, you don't fool me. I don't know what that has to do with my wheelchair. You don't fool me, Tony. You're a generous human being, you fucker. <laughs> now it's just showing me random wheelchairs. And I got to be honest, I don't know, like, so I, I'm looking at some pictures of Queen Anne. The movie was not historically accurate, nor did it attempt to be. It was just... No, but, like, some of these pictures, or, I mean, like, paintings of Queen Anne. I got to go back to referencing the episode with Michael, where he mentions, uh, never draw a hard line at the nose. Oh, dear. anyway i digress except to say that the jury's still out on whether or not this is a period appropriate wheelchair even if it's not i still recommend the film yeah yeah it's a great movie and i think that you know it isn't a disability movie to the extent of some of the other movies we've watched it doesn't focus on disability but that that's to its advantage. Yeah, that lack of focus is always refreshing. Right. It's not giving us a perspective around 
what it would be like to be a disabled queen. Well, I guess if your life as a queen is so isolated that you become lonely and depressed and essentially just desperate for the affection of someone. And that, that's a it's a cool premise, even though it's totally just based on a true story, I guess. Did you believe in any of the romantic elements of the film? Yeah, it's not believable. I don't think anyone loved anyone. I think that all of the all of the relationships were transactional. I disagree. It, well, the only maybe maybe the queen loved other people, like I loved the, the women, probably especially the first woman. You're talking about Rachel Wise, her primary caretaker. Yeah. Y- yeah. I would say that the queen probably loved her. But I don't think, I think Rachel Wise maybe loved her, but didn't portray it very well. I think she loved her. I think she loved her in the way that she knew how. Yeah. She, she, she showed a lot of tough love. She was critical of many of the queen's decisions, trying to keep her abreast of the state of the current politics. Uh, she would constantly um, sort of like try to control or micromanage the queen's outward presentation. What are you doing wearing that makeup? Or um, this is how you should interact with person X, Y, or Z. She was sort of a micromanager, but I think she was a true lover um, because she was constantly kind of worried about the queen. They would play together and laugh, and it seemed authentic to me. Like it, It was true that Rachel Wise had a thirst for power, but I do actually think that she cared about the queen because there's a moment in the film where Rachel has an opportunity to bribe the queen um, to try to prevent her from giving Emma Stone too much status within the royal family. Uh, and Rachel soon regrets it and burns the, um, the letters that she would have otherwise used for this, uh, for this blackmail attempt. Um, so I think that uh, I think there was love. It, 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 was, it was an examination of two kinds of love. One transactional from Emma Stone, who was just uh, manipulating the queen for for her own advantage to try to rise out of her own poverty. And one that was real, but maybe slightly problematic or, you know, at the very least nuanced. It was nuanced, but I don't know if it was. It was more real than the one at Emma Stone, but the bar was so low there. I still think that it wasn't healthy. Neither one was healthy. Well, the queen didn't have enough uh, confidence or self-assuredness or like even a healthy uh, mental state to really participate in any kind of loving relationship. Right. Uh, so she was compromised and therefore, you know, should not have been so close to these other women. But I appreciated the movie for at least trying to convince us on some level that love could occur between these women. Right. And like to derive a lot of comedy out of it too. Hey, have you ever been to like a stand-up comedy night and you laugh the entire time, but then someone asks you to recount a joke and you just can't? That's like what we were talking about earlier. People don't care about what you're saying. Yeah. They just care about how you felt. Yeah. So that being said, you want to play that clip right now? Okay. Um, so this is a clip of, um, uh, so Rachel Wise has just told the queen that her makeup is awful, that she needs to go back to her room and rethink her presentation. 
She does this rather uh, pleasantly, but of course the queen is uh, upset by it. Insecure, yeah. Yeah, super, super insecure. And so she's kind of um, walking back to her chambers to reapply her makeup. And again, she has her little butler who looks like a a 16-year-old kid who's just kind of eyeing her as she goes to enter her room. And so she just sort of gives him a tongue lashing. Yeah. Uh, This clip definitely is better when you can see the video. Yeah. But it gives you an idea for the tone of the movie. Yeah. And kind of the petulance of the queen and her ability to like rescind into like childlike tantrums or behavior. Yeah, so this is on her way back to her quarters. Mm -hmm. Did you just look at me? Did you? Look at me. Look at me. How dare you? Close your eyes. (laughs) So it's it's definitely funnier when you're watching it. But she's really good at drawing you in to her anxiety Uh and then almost letting you revel in it and empathize with it, even though she's being objectively mean to people right and it, and all within the current state of things where people think that we should kill the rich like yeah i'm not saying i don't agree with that or whatever but there's general negative sentiment toward like egregiously wealthy individuals nowadays and the fact that you can make a movie you know starring a queen and make that queen relatable even though She's constantly suffering and yeah, uh, it can be quite ugly. It's it's a, a huge accomplishment. Like this movie is fucking good. It definitely has the most character depth of any way we've watched so far. It totally does. Totally does. And it would have, I barely even thought of this movie as something we should cover in the podcast. Yeah. Well, I had never even heard of it before, mm-hmm. which is surprising because I'm a big Emma Stone fan. Did Emma Stone feel like Emma Stone to you in this movie? Or did she feel like someone else or something else? Well, I mean, it didn't feel like Emma Stone in Spider-Man. She she was a legitimately good actor in this movie. Oh, yeah. Her duplicitousness is, is a constant question mark. Yeah. You're wondering if she's actually caring or not, even as she's in the middle of manipulating like three different people concurrently. All the way to the end of the movie, it, it kind of ends on an emotional cliffhanger of mm-hmm. does she still, does she care? You don't know. You don't yeah, know. You don't know. So it's it's fascinating. She does a wonderful job in this movie. Yeah. Should we, should we talk about uh, Wheel Breakers now? Yeah, I got a Wheel Breaker for you. Wheel breakers. What's your wheel breaker? Um, so you get to be 100% able-bodied. Okay. Yep. But if someone makes a joke okay. and you don't think it's funny, you can't laugh. And you, t- in fact, you tell them, that's not funny. Am I rude about it? No, you just say that's not funny. That's not funny? It's not funny. That's kind of rude. You look at them dead-eyed. Does that become the joke? Because that could become the joke. It could be if you play your cards right. Like sometimes you say some terrible puns like you did tonight on the episode. Yep. And I just stared at you and went, that's not funny. You actually closed your eyes and you winced like you were having a bout of gout. I had a bout of gout. (laughs) I gave you gout. You gave me a gout bout. 
Do you remember the joke or did you completely wipe it from your mind? I've wiped it and I, I've deleted it and I've written over it and I'll never even try to figure out what it was. But so, so, but think about this for example, like you can never like courtesy laugh ever again. I have a pretty low standard of humor. Like a lot of things make me laugh. Even like, like, I, I don't know. I, I laugh at like silly fart jokes and like, kids humor a lot like sometimes i think kids are the funniest they are the funniest yeah i think i could still get by with laughing at most jokes so you think you wouldn't actually have many opportunities to tell someone that they're not funny even when i'm like closing my eyes and winking at your pun it's not because i hate the joke it's just because i think that would even make it funnier okay i'm i'm just playing up to the joke i honestly love any attempt at humor what if what if you have like a friend of yours who you love dearly that is just consistently unfunny and like you laugh at them because you love them not because they're funny what what about that but i don't (laughs) you you always laugh because you're laughing yeah and then even when they tell a joke i can't think of a person who tries to be funny and I never think it's funny. What about if you had a boss and you're like in a meeting and they constantly make shitty dad jokes and you, f- you feel like you're walking on, on eggshells around them? Work humor is already not that funny. Exactly. I almost never laugh at work. And do you explicitly tell your coworkers that they're not funny? Right. That's the part I keep forgetting. So I, it's not that I don't laugh. I have to remind them like, I'm, like, gatekeeping their humor. You're like, that's not funny. That's not funny. Yeah, that's rude. And then and then they're like, oh, but you don't get it. It's, and then they try to reframe the joke, and you're like, it's not funny. I'd be afraid of doing because what would happen is people would stop trying to make jokes around me because I would shut them down so aggressively. Well, but if, if it was a funny joke, you would laugh. So maybe Maybe they would aspire to be funny if you told them they weren't. I don't know, but if they got insecure, they would stop trying to make jokes because they'd be like, well, I'm not going to try to be funny around that guy. You immediately lose your sense of humor if you say, that's not funny. If I make you cringe, I just want to keep trying. Yeah, but you know, you making me cringe isn't the same as me being like, Jamie, that's not funny. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. The way you say it is like, Jamie, that's not funny. It's almost like, like, stop. Yeah. But when I'm cringing, you're just like, ha ha. It's like when you tell a dad joke, you don't want to, you don't, your dad doesn't want you to go, ha 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 ha. Your dad likes the fact that you're like, oh, come on. Upset with him? Like the groan is the laugh. Oh, I see. At first I was going to say yes, but I was forgetting that you have to actually say that that's not funny. And that's so rude. It is, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think that's worth it. Wheel? Yeah, wheel. Yeah, wheel. You got a wheel breaker for me? Yeah. So I can make you fully able-bodied. Uh-huh. But every time you fall asleep, whether it's to go to bed or just a nap, wherever you are, you pee yourself. Couldn't I just choose not to sleep ever again? Okay, so I I piss the bed every time. Yeah. 
This actually resembles a wheel breaker that one of my friends proposed. So yeah, I just wet the bed. That's it. But that means I can't share a bed with a spouse. Or you wear a diaper when you sleep. Yeah. Oh, we we've talked about diapers before and other wheel breakers. Yeah. Yeah. Any major compromise to your personal hygiene is a really uh okay. Yeah, I do it. You would do it? I've got I have so much experience pissing myself. Like I don't care anymore. Are you like a pro at it? How many times have you pissed yourself? I have very funny friends and a very weak bladder. Okay. Huh. I'm friends with you. Do you realize do you realize how much of a risk you are? Have I ever made you piss yourself? Maybe a little bit. I've I've made you piss yourself? A little bit. Next time I make you piss yourself, I demand you tell me. I drink coffee and a lot of club soda during the recording of this podcast. And there are some instances where I'm laughing as hard as CP will let me. Can you just tell me right now, just to massage my ego a little bit, if I have made you piss yourself? No, I can't because now this is going too far. I've made you piss yourself laughing. A couple of times when I lived in Metcalf, I left your apartment with, uh, I wasn't dry. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> yeah, you have a weird thing about making wheelies suffer with humor. <laughs> yeah, like if I can make you piss yourself or choke on your drink, yeah. I'm like, I should probably quit my job and pursue a career in comedy. <laughs> All right. Thank you, man. I appreciate no problem. That. No but problem. I'm surprised. I'm starting to think, though, can I be real with you for a second? Please. I'm starting to think that you put being able-bodied on too much of a pedestal. Like, I think some of the wheel breakers that you say yes to, I'm like, when I'm writing them out, because I have a list, right? Uh And every episode, I'm like trying to choose one that would be funny or whatever. The reason I picked this one was only because I was like, oh, he would never go for this. I, I would. Yeah, well, obviously you just did. Yeah. And it makes me think that maybe, maybe I think you think that being able-bodied is way better than it might actually. I I agree. It's probably pretty chill. Yeah. But I like, is it actually worth peeing yourself every time you fall asleep? I mean, I don't know. Like I said, most of the time when I pee myself, I'm laughing ecstatically. So I don't even associate it with negative emotions. And at this point, like, if you if you can't accept me because I wet my shorts, then, like, we probably weren't meant to be friends or lovers anyway. So fuck it. I can deal with it. That's a fair point. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah. I, I don't want to wear diapers. So you're just going to have a DIY waterbed? I guess, yeah. I, I, I don't mean to shame anyone who actually needs to wear Depends or something. I just think as a garment that they suck. Oh, I mean, I'm sure even the people that wear them yeah. don't think they're great. I don't think anyone wears them out of anything other than necessity. Of course. Do you think people wear them because they're just like, I hate toilets. <laughs> Imagine diapers, the poor man's porcelain. <laughs> <laughs> what if I said you could be able-bodied, but you have to live in the 1700s? And you're not royalty. I yeah, I think I'd try it out. Try it out? Yep, I would. But you have full memory of video games. If I the first thing I would do if I became able bodied is like 
delete my Steam account. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. We've talked about that. We've talked about that before. How yeah. the disabled part of you is what plays video games. Yeah, I'm purely just trying to travel via video games. Yeah, especially when you play those ones where you're just like, I spent four hours walking through a trees. <laughs> yeah, that's little like the Elder Scrolls and shit. Like yeah. I, I, I don't play Grand Theft Auto to like run over pedestrians and sleep with hookers. I play it to just go for a drive. Yeah. It's beautiful. That's why I play Forza. Yeah. And it's also why I play sports games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After this podcast, we're going to fucking play some Rocket League. For sure. Mm-hmm. By, by the way, should, should we sign off there, you think? Yeah, I think that's good. Thank you, everyone, for watching. And stay tuned for future episodes. We have some great things coming. Mm-hmm. And also check out the favorite. It's really awesome. Yeah. I hope we didn't like reveal to the plot doesn't really matter. It's more about it's more about the characters and, and how and, and the chemistry of the of the actresses. Oh, by the way, the, another before we go, a funny detail about the film. Oh, no. Did you notice this? A funny detail about the film is that all the men are totally useless. Oh, yeah. That's so great. It, it's it's really funny. Like it's the matriarchy. It's a total matriarchy and it it's not like heavy handed or finger wavy. It's just literally that the men preoccupy themselves with like uh, duck fights and races and shit. Oh, that was my favorite part though. Yeah. At the beginning with the duck fight and the like slow motion people like cheering like it's a NASCAR finale. Yeah. They're all behaving like absolute bab- baboons in slow motion and shit. Like you're watching the Stanley Cup finals. And the men are so vain. They wear wigs and makeup and they're so like uh, self-conscious of how it looks. They just want to look pretty. And it's it's really funny. It's a it's a hilarious inversion. See, if we had video, I would 100% have ordered one of those wigs and worn it for the whole recording. And had like rouge all over your cheeks and shit. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I love that scene where they're just like inexplicably like throwing dried fruit. And like the men are just throwing fruit at one of their naked friends. Oh, yeah. And it's just, it's like, it comes out of nowhere, but it's trying to speak to like just how childish and ape-like these men can be, despite like holding themselves in such high regard. I was talking about this recently with someone. The matriarchy is ending, right? Like the queen is the last female and then it's going to be a dude. Are you talking about like in the in the current yeah. royal family? I don't give a fuck about the royal family. Like as far as I'm concerned, it, it exists to bring Oprah out of her shell for one or two interviews every six months. Well, let's end it there. All right. Bye, everyone. Oh, boy.